Now, today I want to talk about the greatest things. And I'm going to read a scripture. Uh, I'm drawing from 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to go through the whole chapter. But right now I'm just going to start off at the end. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the last verse. But then I want to talk to the kids for a little bit. So the, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13, which is 13, 13. Uh, my translation says this. Now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So I want to talk about what that means. Now, I mentioned earlier that we normally have a kids section, and my wife's going to be doing it over video, and uh, she had a, a great time recording these in our backyard, and she's automatically like better at working with kids than I am, that I love children, I love working with children, but I've had lots of kids say, you're kind of boring. So my wife's a lot better at it. <laughs> So we have a quick video we want to show you from her. I'm so glad that you're able to be with us here at church today. Whether you're actually in the building or whether you're watching from home, you are here at church and that is so great. And I'm glad that you are able to be part of this. Today we're going to be talking about love and not just the love we see on TV, but real love and what that actually means and why that's important. So I have a little illustration for you today. I have two cups and a sponge filled with water. Now these two cups represent other people and this sponge rep represents you and it is filled with love. And in this case, it's filled with water, but that's going to represent love. So this sponge is filled with love. And if you give one person all the love that you have to give, you're going to be able to give them about this much love if this is you. And there's only so much love that you can share with this person on your own. Now, if you go to the next person and you want to share your love with another person, you're all out of love because you've shared all your love with the first person and you haven't even really shared very much. Now, if you look at this nice bucket that I have here, this represents God's love. See, it is impossible to love people fully on our own. But if we have God's love in our life, we can just go and we can share God's love with people over and over again because his love is infinite. He has so much love and he can help us to love others over and over again until others are overflowing with his love that you have shared with them. And as you can see, this cup is full and there is enough love left to continue filling up the first person with love. Now, as we're talking about love, we are going to be talking a lot in 1 Corinthians 13. Pastor John is going to be talking a lot about that chapter today. 
And so I wanted to just do a verse with you guys, uh, one that we can remember that kind of sums up uh, the importance of uh, what we're talking about today. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 is this. So these three things continue forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, I'll say it one more time, and you guys can repeat it with me, and it'll help you to remember it. So it's 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So these three things continue forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's great, guys. Now continue listening to Pastor John and I want you to listen carefully to what he is talking about because he is going to be talking a lot about love and what it means and why that's important and so I want you to pay attention and hear what he has to say uh, and try and figure out why these three things are so important and what you can do about it. So enjoy the rest of the service. So much fun when you're talking to kids to talk directly to them, and it has been a huge shift. Even even when we were when we were preaching pre-recorded online, and I was preaching through the camera, I know of some pastors that would go and they'd put pictures up of people around them, just because they needed that like interaction with people. So I, I have extra respect for people who are uh, willing to go on camera and do stuff like that because it can be really hard. So. I really like her translation with this one. I'm reading from the NIV. She's reading from uh, something called the ICB, the International Children's Bible. I believe that is what that stands for. And mine says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And her translation goes, uh, these are three things that will last forever. And I do really feel like that kind of encapsulates this idea. And so I want to talk about what are the greatest things. And we're reading from 1 Corinthians 13. 13 here. And so the, the verse says pretty clearly that there's these three that are the greatest, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of them is love. Now I want to talk about what I think is one of the unifying factors between each one of these. And it's obvious with faith and hope, but it's not so obvious when we're talking about love. Now the first one, I want to take a step back and define what this word faith means, especially using the Bible as a lens. And that one, the Bible gives a really blunt definition of it. It's Hebrews 11, 1. We'll have it on the screen. And it says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So a lot of people will say this phrase. Faith means believing what you can't see. And there, there's truth to that. But it goes one step forward. It's not just believing, you know what, I think there's something out there even though I can't see it. It's confidence and assurance. They're very solid, firm words that faith is confidence in what we hope for. Not just hope that, I hope this is going to happen, but I'm confident that it will. An assurance about what we do not see. We can't see God and the Spirit with our physical eyes, but we have assurance that he's here and he's moving. So faith is based on these, uh, these two concepts of confidence and assurance. And the point I want you to, to take home about faith is that confidence in God and his word is the root of faith. Not the invisibility of God, but the confidence in the invisibility of God. Now hope, hope is a little bit more difficult and we have to jump around a bit. 
And so I'm just going to read a series of scriptures, and again, we'll have them on the screen. And so the first is Romans 2, or Romans 5, verses 2 to 5, and it says this. Let's start halfway through the second verse. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So in this concept, hope does not put us to shame. Some translations say hope does not disappoint. Romans 8.25 If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Galatians 5.5 says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And so are we seeing a common thread here? That this, this concept of hope through the Bible, it talks about qualities of perseverance and character and how they lead to hope. Hope is patiently waiting, even eagerly awaiting. And I've talked about hope before, how, how we see hope as, man, I really hope it will happen. That we almost understand this word hope as the opposite of confidence. But to the Bible, biblical hope is rooted in certainty. Worldly hope is rooted in wishful thinking. I saw a definition of biblical hope once as the expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. So hope in the Bible isn't, I hope things are going to go well. I hope this is going to work out. Biblical hope is, I expect them to, because God promised that they would. And so we have these two traits, faith and hope, and we see how much confidence goes under both of these ideas. And so I think confidence, assurance, eagerness, that they are the unifying factor between faith, hope, and love. And so I want to talk a little bit about, or I talked a little bit about faith and hope, but now I'm going to dwell on love. And I think this is a good idea because especially the Bible says, love is the greatest thing. So I want to ask with a starting, or I want to start with a question here. How do we build love on a foundation of confidence and certainty. Because right now, if we're really honest with ourselves, our concept of love, it's based on the other person. It's based on how they treat us. It's based on how they make us feel. Worldly love says, I love everyone, but I don't like everyone. I love everyone, but I can't tolerate certain kinds of people or attitudes or actions. I love everyone when they're good. That that's our, our worldly concept of love. That we, we place the effort and the, the, the deserving of love on the behavior and activity on the other person. But see, Paul here, he's saying that a biblical concept of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is so firm and foundational that you can put it right up there with faith and hope in terms of the greatest things that we can ever do. And that's saying something. Paul is saying your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, love's right up there beside it. In fact, love is greater than it. But loving each other tends to fall to the background. Why is that? We strive so hard to make sure that we stay in the faith. To Paul, we should be dedicating just as much effort to making sure we stay in love. So what kind of foundation in our hearts, in our lives, can we lay to make sure that we're living biblical love? And it's at this point that I want to read through the whole chapter 13. 
There's not a lot of times where we'll sit down and read a whole chapter, but I think we really need a good picture of it. So 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I've gained nothing. Love is patient. This is the one we know from weddings a lot. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, there will cease. Where there are tongues, there will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a, a reflection as in a mirror. Some translations say we see through a, a dim mirror at that. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So I want to talk about three certainties that we need to hold about love to make it the kind of thing that Paul is saying that is greater even than faith and hope. And so the first one is this. Love is certainty in the fact that my spiritual gifts, my spiritual activity is useless to me without love. And this sounds really counterintuitive. And a lot of people will push, push this like social justice happy gospel. Just love everyone and, and everything's great. But the truth is, as Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a clanging symbol. And that's a distraction. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to go jump in the lake and it will. And Paul says, you can move mountains, but if you don't have love, you've done nothing. Every quality Paul names off at the beginning of this chapter are amazing things. If I listed off to you and I said, here's a person who's speaking in the language of angels. They're practicing prophecy. They can understand all mysteries and knowledge. They can move mountains. They've given away all their possessions to the poor and they've surrendered themselves to hardship. If I put somebody on the stage and I said, look at all of the things that this person has done, we'd pat that person on the back. We'd hold them up and say, this person's a great example of how we should be. I'm hearing a little bit of feedback on my voice, Josh. But you know, Paul gives us a warning here. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 11 and 12. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And then he says, for we see only as a reflection in the mirror, then we'll see face to face. And so Paul literally says, 
when you're looking at these spiritual gifts, don't be childish. That sounds like a bit of a rebuke. (laughs) And he says we need to be mature. And in that context, he says maturity means understanding that you don't see things fully from this side of eternity. Why does he say that? Because we're really attracted to the amazing things. We see someone get healed and we go, that is great. But then we see something simple like love and it doesn't have that flash to it. So we we go, oh, maybe that's not as great. But see, that's what we're drawn to. Jesus was telling a parable once about, uh, they called it uh, the rich man and the beggar. And in the story that the beggar dies and he goes to be with Abraham and the rich man dies and he goes to be tortured. And the rich man begs Abraham, he says, send Lazarus to my brothers, warn them of what's coming. I didn't know I was going to wind up here. And Abraham replies with, Well, you know, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the writings. They have the scriptures. And then the man replies, well, if they saw someone raised from the dead, they'd believe. And Jesus gives a really telling point here. He says, if they don't believe the scriptures, they're not going to believe even if they see someone raised from the dead. Does that mean they're not going to go, wow, that was amazing. But it's going to put them on the wrong path. So Paul is saying here, you don't see fully. That here's the real metric. It's not are they speaking in tongues. It's not are they practicing prophecy. It's are they loving. And in the context here, the the context is clearly, like it obviously applies to our love for God, but it's clearly the context is our love for other people. So Paul, Paul gives us the real metric here to ask someone about if they're walking in spiritual maturity. Are they loving? Because you could look at all the spiritual gifts here, but if that person doesn't have love, they're not anything. And Paul covers all the bases. He goes through three different kinds of nothings, if you didn't notice that. At the beginning, he says with tongues about how with love we've accomplished nothing. We're sitting here just banging symbols together. I don't know if you've, if you've been in a worship service where they have lots of tambourines out. And if somebody gets their hands on a tambourine and they don't know what they're doing, but they're really happy, they can be a little distracting. I went to a, a small church once and there was a, an amazing Jamaican woman, and she was so full of life and so energetic, and she'd, she'd bolt into the service, and she'd grab that tambourine, and it didn't matter. It could be a slow song. It could be a, a loud song, a fast song, and she's happy, and she's just banging away at it. And we love the energy, but it was really distracting. And that's what Paul's saying, is that if we're practicing tongues, but we don't have love for each other, we're, we're doing nothing. With prophecy and faith, Faith that can move mountains. If we have the kind of faith that can move a mountain, but we don't have love, he says we are nothing. So the first is we've done nothing. The second is we are nothing. And then without, with giving everything to the poor, surrendering, or, surrendering ourselves to hardships, which is what Jesus asked somebody to do once. He said, you know what? You have one thing that remains. You need to give all you have to the poor and come and follow me. But Paul says, if you do that without love for other people, you've gained nothing. So we've done nothing, we are nothing, and we've gained nothing. That's really strong. So Paul's covering all the bases. So what do we do about that? How do we respond to something like that? This is where I want to take another moment, pass it over to my wife in a video. And she's got a great illustration of how to understand 
why it works like this. So second video. Hi kids. So did you figure out why love is so important and what we can do with it? Well, let's go over our verse one more time and then I'm going to share another illustration with you. Does anybody remember the verse from earlier today? I'll say it again and then maybe by the end of this little video you will have memorized it for uh, for after church. So the verse is this, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So these three things continue forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Well, right now I'm going to be talking a little bit about the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. And I have a couple more things to uh, show you. I've got a battery and a cell phone. So do you know what a battery does? A battery can power things so that they can work, whether it's your phone or maybe it's a, your favorite toy or your like a whole bunch of things that you use around the house use batteries to work. And if you don't have a battery, it's not going to work. It's just going to be nothing. It's, it's, it's going to be useless. Having a cell phone with a cell phone is a wonderful, amazing, powerful thing because you have if you have the internet on it, you can connect, you can learn anything you want to learn, you can know the weather, you can know the time, you can figure out math equations, you could do anything with your phone. You can talk to people, which is pretty much the original purpose of a phone. You can send messages. You can do so much with a cell phone. But if its battery is dead, it is basically just a really expensive paperweight. So what does the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13 say? It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. So what does this verse have to do with a battery and a cell phone? Well, in this case, love is like a battery. We can do a whole bunch of great things we could uh, we could be prophets and be able to to tell people what god has for them to say we could be able to heal people we could be able to give away all our money and all our stuff and help out the poor we could do all this wonderful great things but if we don't have love if we don't have batteries just like a phone if it doesn't have battery power it can do all this wonderful things with batteries but if it doesn't have battery, it's useless. It's a useless paperweight. The same is true for us. If we can do all this wonderful things, but we don't love the people that we are helping, it, it's useless. It doesn't matter. It's, it's pointless. It's nothing if we don't have love. That's how important love is to have. So let's go over our verse just one more time before we go back to Pastor John 
And the verse is this, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So these three things continue forever. Hope, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So here's a question I have for you guys going forward. While you're watching the rest of Pastor John's message, listen for the answer to this question. What can we do to show that the Lord, that the love is the most important thing to God? So what can we do to show that love is the most important thing to God? So why don't you think about that while we continue watching Pastor John's message? Loudest bug. <laughs> we have them in our backyard. They're so loud. So I want to give a little bit of context here that I read the whole chapter 13 and it seems like that's enough context, but the more we float through 1 Corinthians, the more we realize how foundational love is to Paul's idea here. So 1 Corinthians 13 seems to be focused on love, but if we back up a bit, 1 Corinthians 12, what's the main idea of this chapter? The Spirit is working in all believers for the common good. This chapter 12 is the verse that has, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. So this idea of that the same Spirit's working in all believers, so love each other. The point of chapter 12 is keep unity and build each other up because that's how God's designed the body. The point of chapter 14, right afterwards, this is one where we get a lot of our context of order of service. And it says things like, if somebody has a, a word to speak, the first person should stop. And we hold up this, this chapter as, you know, here's the rules that we need to go through to make sure we're not disrupting the spirit. But the fact is, is 1 Corinthians 14, his point, what he keeps pushing through 14 is the order of service and the spiritual gifts, all these things exist to build other people up. So make sure that other people are being built up. It's love again. And so love, and both of those chapters have a focus on us. 13 has a focus on us. And so my second point here is that love is certainty in the idea that I have to do more work than the other person. From verse 4 to 7, Paul gives an amazing description of what love is. And we read that a lot at weddings. I've read it so many times that I, I have to read a lot of the other scripture to get it word for word. And that one I didn't so much have to. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And we read it at weddings, but that's not Paul's application for it. That it is a true and amazing way to understand love, but we miss something Paul's talking about. So I want to draw attention to something. I read this section over a whole bunch of times to make sure that I could say this with confidence. Not one word of what Paul speaks from verses 4 to 7, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, uh, critically depends on what the other person is doing, being, thinking, believing, saying, wearing, nothing. It does not depend on what the other person does. It responds to it. But at no point does Paul say, now love also means the other person has to blank. And if we see it as that, if we see it as a, as a series of, of calls to us to act, we can see what Paul's talking about. I rewrote that section as a series of questions and responses. So is the other person aggravating? Be patient with them. Love is patient. Is the other person deserving of scorn or mistreatment? Be kind. Do they seem better than you? Don't envy. Do you feel like you're better than them? Don't boast or be proud. 
Do they seem like they don't deserve honor? Don't dishonor them. Do they make you feel like you deserve more honor? Don't be self-seeking. Are they making you angry? Don't be easily angered. Are they doing wrong things? Don't keep a record. Do they seem to be a mixture of evil and truth? Don't delight in seeing the evil, but rejoice with the truth. It's almost like Paul is saying, do everything you can to always give that person more chances. Jesus said that. Peter came to him once and said, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? And he was being generous. The Jewish perspective at the time was, give them three and cut them off. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And that's why Peter replies and says, Lord, expand our faith. Because that's really hard to always seek to protect the other person. Always trust, always hope for the best and always persevere, which is the end of it's verse seven. I've heard it said once that if you read through the entire New Testament, looking at the behaviors of the early church, you could say that they seem like they're always trying to one-up each other in how much they can do. And that's an amazing perspective. If that was our perspective, that I need to be constantly trying to do more than the next person. I went away to Central America for a couple weeks, and it wasn't like a missions trip. It was more, they called it a social justice learning tour. We were there on the ground to see what problems were going on in the country. And they gave a challenge at the beginning. They said, we're going to give you a secret name. We want you to try and do whatever you can to bless this person through it. And my personality, uh, the person who got me, they were upset with me after. Because they're like, I had no opportunities to help you. You were carrying around a backpack. And I was like, oh yeah, let me take your backpack. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. And then I took theirs. And there are all these things they're trying to help me with. And I'm like, no, 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 let me do it. <laughs> And a bit of that is like, I need to let people help me. But I was, I was constantly trying. It's like, you want to hold my bag? No, I'm going to hold yours now. Like, I was constantly trying to one-up this person. So love is certainty in the idea that we have to do more than the other person. And love is certainty in the idea that love is the greatest thing we can do. Because it says that. That we use a part of this chapter to talk about romantic love. But Paul wrote this entire section to talk about how the church should behave. Paul devotes a huge amount of 1 Corinthians to driving the simple point home again and again and again. Real faith in you individually doesn't just build you up individually. It builds everyone. That real hope in Christ doesn't just draw you in individually. It draws other people in because of love. Love is the greatest foundation because love is the primary way God reminds us to not just think about us. And that there's other people in the body too. He says that later. He says, do you think you're the only person that God's talking to? And faith and hope don't operate correctly without that conviction. Catherine, when she picked out uh, her illustration with the battery, she grabbed a D cell and she asked, she's like, are kids going to know what this is? Because now it's all like lithium batteries and everything's got batteries built in and this battery is like half the size of their cell phone and it weighs more. But it doesn't operate properly. Faith does not operate properly. Hope does not operate properly. Our walk and our church does not operate properly without love. Paul later in Corinthians, he calls out the church for seeking an experience with spiritual gifts an order that didn't consciously build everybody up. 
He says, does the word of God originate with you? Are you the only person that it's reached? And you know what? Paul says love is so great that the things, all the things that we seek in this life in terms of our spiritual experiences, we love to see healings. We do. We love to see people speaking in tongues. We love to see people slain in the spirit. We love to see people operating in prophecy. And that's great. He starts off 1 Corinthians 14 by saying, seek the gifts and love. But all those things will one day disappear. One day we won't need healing, but we'll need love. One day we won't need tongues, but we'll need love. One day we won't need prophecy or knowledge, but we'll need love. You get the idea. A life of certainty and love is the greatest thing, is a conviction that we could see all of the spiritual gifts operating in our church but if people leave this place without feeling loved or accepted, if they leave feeling rejected, we haven't accomplished anything. Last week in our kids' ministry video, they ended the video off by saying, it was 20 things you could say to be nicer. And one of them was, say something nice. And he said, you've heard the phrase, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. He ended the video with saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, you're not thinking hard enough. And, you know, we see this truth reflected in reality if you're paying attention. I've considered myself a student over the last six months especially. I try to learn all the time. But over the last six months especially. And in church growth circles, and I've talked about this before, that what is the greatest single factor that determines whether or not a new person will stick around the church is that they feel welcome. They feel like they have a place to belong. They feel like they're connected. It's not the quality of sermon or worship. It's not the facility or the ministry programs. It's, it's love. If they feel love, they'll stick around. And that's why I feel like it's the ushers practically have a more important job than me on a Sunday morning. The average person makes, makes an impression as to coming into a church in the first like 30 seconds. The first face that they see is often going to be their concept. So in my experiences, What's one of the greatest factors that drives families with children to continue coming into church? That they feel like their kids are loved and accepted. I could build a giant funhouse on the side of this building, fill this entire place with balloons, and make this place the most fun building for a thousand kilometers in any direction. But if kids feel leave feeling rejected and unloved, feeling looked down on, those families are gone. Kids speak the language of fun and we teach them through fun so that they actually listen and understand, but they need love. We all do. If love is the greatest thing here to Paul, then love needs to be the greatest thing our church exports. It needs to be the greatest thing that we seek. And sidebar, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, and I'll end off on this. And this is a really important topic with a lot of churches, as it should be. And often this conversation steers to the topic, how do we see more or how do we start seeing spiritual gifts in our church? And you know, what I've learned in all my years of studying the Bible is that you need to ask the questions the Bible asks. That we have our own concepts, but Paul says earlier, he says, you don't see things clearly. Here are the questions. And so the question here for spiritual gifts, the question here for seeing a greater operation of what makes us feel like we see the Spirit is, are we loving? Because don't be mistaken, God is not in the game of just indulging us. He's not here just to give us an experience to make us feel good. 
He has a plan and a purpose, and he has a way that he wants stuff done, but it's not like our ways. And I think it's a red flag, and I've watched this in my life. I think it's a red flag when God's ways start to consistently look like mine all the time. That when my growth and my perspective on God doesn't change for a while, that's a red flag for me. God is infinite. Do you think we're ever going to get to a point where we don't need to be constantly evolving in our growth and our understanding of God? You know, Paul reminds us, you're only seeing a reflection of the true realities. So he says, remember, you're not seeing things clearly, so don't ever forget that God's greater priority for the spiritual gifts is love and building other people up. And I can promise you this much. If you want to see it happen more, honor God's priorities. Honor his priority of love. And it will lead to a greater outpouring of the spiritual gifts. Because as much as spiritual gifts are worthless without love, love is the function that enables spiritual gifts to be really meaningful and powerful. That God's not in the game of playing experience. He wants to build up his body. And that's something we can seek. And so I just want to end on this point that love is the greatest thing we can seek. And that it's something that asks a lot of us. And it's something that we need to seek first and foremost. We've been going through the book of Philippians at our, our Thursday night Bible study. And the last, uh, the last video we talked about was how uh, some people seek the gifts rather than the giver. That we see that God gives us the gifts of a better life. He gives us, in the sense of like, better morality, better choices. We become better people. But then we start defining our faith by, I need to make better choices. I need to be a better person. I need to have the better stuff. And we start losing our path. That seeking God in the concept of the Bible is this deep conviction of like, I need God. It's not that I need to be better. It's I need God because I'm not better. And we get better because of that. So if we want to see the spiritual gifts, if we want to see power in our church, we need to need love. We need to need to build up the rest of the body. Because when we look like what the early church looked like, Acts 2, 40, that they're constantly gathering together, they're having meals, they're giving away their property and taking care of each other. If we want to see what they got, we need to prioritize what they did. We need to prioritize love.